Greeks, and welcome to Radical Research. This is a red episode with Black Edges. Welcome to episode 70 of Radical Research. Hello, Hunter again. Hello, Jeff Wagner. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I love being in Norway and I just can't wait to get to it. So let's dispense with uh, any of the small talk. I don't really care how you are. I don't really care how I am. I I am uh, miserably hot and wish that I were in Norway. (laughs) That's how I am. <laughs> and not on Zoom, because apparently <laughs> your your employer has had, had you on Zoom for quite some time. I li- literally have been, um, yeah, in, in Zoom captivity. <laughs> well, this could be a long show, but you'll, you'll be out of here in about 90 minutes, I think. Okay. Okay. I mean, not, 90 minutes with Solifold is, is very little to ask of me. Absolutely. And uh, I do care how you are, by the way. I was just, I was just being a little cheeky, you know, I'm just, Oh, you, you, <laughs> I know how you are sometimes. I get like that when che- I'm in Norway. Get so cheeky. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh yeah. Which is, is typical of the Norwegian temperament. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> Talking to you from Savannah, Norway and Greensboro, Norway, medical yep. research. Yeah. That was uh, a song. I'm not going to, it's a, it's a, it's a slashed song. I'm not going to try to pronounce the Norwegian of that one, but uh, we'll call it Ravnan's fall, which it's also known as this was from Solofald's 1996 demo. 
I missed the boat on their demo. I had no idea Solo Fault even existed until I got a promo from avant-garde music of the first album. And, uh, you know, news traveled slower in those days. Despite being from Oslo, was funny because I'd never heard uh, anybody speak of them. The bands that were from Oslo never really seemed to talk about them, at least not in the zines that I was reading. And there was just very little known about them. And I don't remember the Yearn Love. Is that how we say it? J-E-R-N? Or, yeah, Yearn Love. Yearn Love. Yearn love. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the Yearn Love demo you know, getting much traction. It was only released in 300 copies, so maybe mm-hmm. that's why. But, you know, back then things would spread and, you know, you'd hear something on a band. But anyhow, we hear the very, very beginnings of Solo Fall. This is a duo. We will talk a lot about Cornelius Jakeln, Jakeln uh, on vocals, guitar, and bass, and uh, Lazare, Lazare. How do we say his name? Lazare, Lazare. I always said, yeah, Lazare. Lazare, Lazare. Yeah. We'll call him LZ for our purposes. We'll call him, or we could just call him Lars. We could call him Lars. Let's call him Lars. Uh, on vocals, keyboards, and drums, Cornelius, he with the screeches, uh, formidable screeches at that. Probably and, the most extreme screeches this side of Alchemist on Radical Research. Ah, for sure. And uh, of course, Lars with uh, keyboards and the cleaner vocals, which um, he would go on to employ in other bands. Um, but uh, this is about Solifold. And this is about these two men, these two gentlemen who have uh, greatly enriched our lives since 1997. Fair to say. Indeed. Indeed. And I think it also is worth saying that they showed up in almost fully realized form, even on the demo. This is true. This is a really interesting point. We, as regular listeners will know, we cover a lot of stuff from Norway, especially that Norweird segment of the scene. And um, you think about Dottomsgard, you think about Beyond Dawn, uh, you think about a number of these bands, most of them started much rawer much more ferocious, much more necro, whatever you want to say, than Solifold. Solifold were the first one, as you said, Hunter, to kind of arrive in this post-black metal or progressive avant-garde state, right? Mm-hmm. Because even though we hear black metal throughout their discography, uh, and, and we certainly hear it throughout that song from Your Love, they were always doing something different, always mutating and mixing stuff into the, the stew that was a bit left field, a bit out of the ordinary. We'll get into some of that as we go. I want to note that uh, their name, Solifald, means sunset or literally, I guess, fall of the sun. Apparently, Theodore Kittleson, a painter, did a uh, a work called Solifald. I couldn't find it online. I, I, I'm not sure if my Googling fingers weren't working right, but uh, I just couldn't find it. But that's the lore of it. What's interesting about Kittleson is his work can be seen in um, other Norwegian black metal bands. I mean, uh, probably the most famous one is uh, Burzum stole one of his artworks for Hivislar Set Taros. But also uh, Philosophum. Oh, is that also Kittleson? Mm-hmm. I mean, he just really captures something that these bands were really kind of trying to bring back or get back to. Yeah, so I find that interesting that that's sort of uh, dovetails into Solofald's history. Without further ado, let's get into a track from their first album. Now, we could probably have done an episode on their first album. And in fact... And, and, and one on their second album. Yeah, I was going to say, in fact, yeah, I, they're one of those bands that I think every one of their albums could have, you know, stand as an episode. I think there's just that much of interest in every single one of their recordings and that they've remained compelling. So, uh, yeah, let's check out Philosophical Revolt. 
Trek actually is a nice little companion piece to Robnan's fall in a way, mm. because a lot of the same ingredients are there. They're just a little more refined on philosophical revolt, more robust production. The playing's a bit more refined. You know, some of the clean guitars are quite similar, but you also have some of those foundational black metal elements, the blasting, the screeching vocals, the tremolo pick guitars. Everything's just a, a little bit matured, a little more seasoned. Yeah, completely agree. And it's a great parallel to make with Robin's Fall. I wonder if Philosophical Revolt was an attempt to just improve on that formula because they never really wrote to formula. It's not like, you know, they had a song structure that they followed through an album or through all, right. you know, their entire output. And you, you're right, because there's this screeching blasting part that just lifts the hairs on, on, on your on your <laughs> arm. I mean, it's just it's arresting, mm. highly effective. And then they drop down into that clean guitar thing. And there's a very similar tone to the one in philosophical as there is in Robinson. So right. um, they almost seem like mirrors of each other. Yeah, that, that's a good one. Um, but the, here's where they start. Here's where they really start lifting off. And I got to say, this is, you know, if anybody wants to look it up, if, if they don't have this album or have never looked into the lyrics, this band really delivered some, some fantastic verbiage uh, <laughs> within their songs. And it, it would take several episodes to really divulge and get into that because that's that's been something that still fascinates me about them. Philosophical revolt. We can we can look in the in the lyrics and see that uh, there's just one stanza where they they are name dropping. Well, I'll just name drop them the way they they do in order: uh, Confucius, Lao Tse, Socrates, Plato, uh, Schopenhauer, Nietzsche, Sartre, and Beauvoir. Pretty wild. <laughs> I mean, like, so they're coming from a pretty sophisticated place already. This this red music with black edges that they dub themselves. This must have appealed to you at the time. Oh, of course it did. Of course, I mean, it, it, it still does. And we're about to get in, into even more, uh, more rarefied air philosophically as we move into the next record. But, you know, I'm sure that you and I have mentioned this at some point over the course of all these episodes, how little we care typically for lyrics in metal. Not yeah. that we don't like great lyrics and not that we are above ridiculing really puerile lyrics but this is a band whose lyrics as you say are a really really critical part of the the overall framework and that's a that's a very rare thing to find in metal Absolutely. I mean, just again, I want to tease out a few from Philosophical Revolt, and I'm going to kind of like paraphrase it because I'm going to skip a few things here. But in one of the stanzas, um, we could read it like this. Uh, the sunrise of the human mind, artwork out of body, artwork out of mind, the sunset of the human mind. I mean, <laughs> we, we're, we're playing on the solofold thing, the, the setting sun, stretching into the poetic. Wow. I mean, I love that. I love those stanzas. I love those lines. I mean, artwork out of body, artwork out of mind. That brings to mind a lot of this stuff from Norway that we love. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I love song titles like, like uh, The Macho Vehicle and Countryside Bohemians. Tequila always Sunrise. love country, Countryside Bohemians. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can uh, you believe that this album only has one, one listener review on Metal Archives? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. It gets a 98%, which it should. But no, nah, this, I think the linear scaffold is 
a foundation. I mean, I, I, I can really never name my favorite solo fall album, but mm-hmm. I would definitely have to always include this on the top three. You know what I mean? Sure. It's, it's just right there. So would I. What about the black metal element? I mean, we're hearing it throughout philosophical revolt. It's, we hear it throughout the, the rest of the album. I mean, it's, it's there probably more so than any other solo fall album, I suppose. For sure. But I mean, it, it's only one year removed from the demo, but to me, and this is all speculative, of course, it sounds like, and I, and I just know from interviews, as, as I'm sure you do, uh, you've actually interviewed them, that, that they are full-blown, you know, black metal enthusiasts. Sure. Came up, you know, through the scene, through the second wave, but they always seemed a little, maybe they were a little younger or they were removed in, in some sense, but you know, metabolized all that enthusiasm. And, but by the time that they got to the point of recording a demo, they had already started to absorb all these outside influences. Oh yeah, And, and- we're, we're going to hear more and more of that. So I, I think that black metal is sort of foundational to, you know, the demo into the first album. But I, I think you, I think you, you basically, it's like if Cynic's first recording had been the Roadrunner demo. Right. right. And yeah, you yeah. know, and they were already, you know, they were, they clearly loved death metal, but by the time they recorded focus, they were already way interested in, in fusion and progressive rock. I think this may be the same thing about Solifold. Sure. And I, I've always likened them to enslaved in terms of how much they intersect with black metal enslaved, maybe a little bit more just due to proxy, I suppose, especially in the early days. Sure. I mean, I think, yeah, it's just a, a, you know, a matter of yeah timeline, but, but the sound too, I mean, I, you know, enslaved pretty quickly, I think grew out of um, just being considered a full black metal band. I, mm-hmm. I don't think they had the imagery. I don't think they, they certainly obviously didn't have the satanic element or even the um, nefarious element of, of any sort. They mm-hmm. were, they were geared towards something else. And I think Solifold from the beginning were always geared toward something else. So I think Solifold yeah. maybe just had some infrastructure in place that enslaved didn't early on, you know, with Hordonis land, which is super, super ambitious and it clearly indicative of you know a group of guys who had ambitions as you say outside of the genre yeah. but i think you know by the time that solifold got around to recording a demo they were more proficient had access to more high fidelity recording mechanism yep sort of yeah. thing right from the first album they're not only drawing from black metal and not only drawing from outside influences musically but uh as we've mentioned getting into literature um getting probably you know there's there's filmic qualities to the first album history certainly they must have been interested in current events uh which comes in much later well actually pretty soon here uh but then much later also in later albums i mean they just they were very cosmopolitan like right from the beginning yet my main takeaway from linear scaffold is always something rural. I feel like I've been in that Bohemian countryside. I feel like. Right. And we're about to make an abrupt detour to more urban environs. I think this is a a principal tension within Norwegian metal and Norwegian black metal. And I feel like a lot of Norwegian bands struggle with this competition between 
rural and cosmopolitan uh, forces. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. I mean, country, city. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, I mean, Oliver explored it, obviously. Oh, yeah, for sure. They're, they're probably both, the great sides. <laughs> yeah, deeply. And, and they're probably the greatest example of extremes in uh, something pastoral and then something just almost disturbingly urban and, and modern. Yes. <laughs> um, but let's well, let's let's move out of the country. Let's get into the city. The, the album for this neonism. The cover itself is telling. You know, there's a lot to be gleaned from both of those covers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we um, we are are ensconced in some urban hellscape. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that that is is still beyond my reckoning after listening to this album for what, 22 years now. Absolutely. The the, the the human figures on the cover of Linear Scaffold look, like look at peace in their environment, right? Um, right. Then we get this like girl uh, that looks just lost, sad, completely disconnected in her urban environment. And it's just it's just such a such a 180 turnabout, right? And before we forget, uh, Hunter wrote a great uh, piece on this album for the, the Radical Research blog. So you can go to our site, radicalresearch.org, to check that out if you haven't already. We'll repost it with the show notes of this episode um, because obviously it relates. Let's listen to two in a row from Neonism. This is, this is also quite a, quite a challenging and awesome album. Uh, never gets old. We'll call it a classic. This is Speed Increase the Scaffold and CK2 Chanel number six. <laughs> Total black metal fodder. Oh, yeah, completely. The, the, the six is for Satan. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and CK could be for Crimson King. Ah. 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 But it's just really, it, it's more just about perfume. Let, let's <laughs> but, but really, it's about perfume. <laughs> Les derniers siècles, mais dans le lumière, c'est un peu cet apocalypse du temps. 
So man, there's a there's a ton going on there. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was going to say the the question is how many ideas can a band explore in less than five minutes? Well, speed increase the scaffold is like eight and a half minutes. So I guess you got to give it credit for exploring that eight minutes and, and making good use of that time. But it, it, even in that two minute snippet, it astonished me. Uh, you know, just because sometimes we don't. Well, we never listen in snippets. You know, and this is no. the first time for both of us. And I thought, my God, like that's a two minute snippet, maybe two minutes plus. And they ran through quite a few ideas there, Uh, especially when we get to the end and we start breaking it down with electronics and sort of, you know, almost dance music kind of stuff. It's great. It is. Um, It's the urban concept there. And yes. So, okay. So yeah, there's a lot to talk about. Um, If, if listeners don't know, typically Jeff and I will, all the snippets that comprise an episode of radical research, we sort of split up the work between us. I happen to get the neonism 
tracks this time. Yep. And the reason that I picked this specific little piece of music is because Jeff wrote a brilliant piece on Solifold and this album in Metal Maniacs um, in fall of 1999. And he mentioned in, in the, that that first part that you hear in Speed Increased remind him of Realm. And so you can imagine that, like, how old was I? Tw- I was I was twenty. Imagine twenty year old Hunter, already like crazy horny about tech metal, super into you know weird Norwegian metal. Like I was, I couldn't get on that phone and talk to Lila at Metal Disc quickly enough. <laughs> I mean, I, like literally, I was just, like, just, I don't, I don't care how much it is. I don't care about the import price. I need this shit now. Yeah, yeah. and it did not disappoint. Did you get the um, version with the white clasp sort of? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's sort of a weird kind of semi digipack. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I mean, avant garde. They uh, they did it right back then, man. Oh hell yeah, yeah, no doubt, yeah. no doubt. Everything looked great, but yeah, you know, I mean, and and Gail's always said this to me about how Europeans have an entirely different relationship with electronic music, even compared to Americans who are into electronic music. Like it was Does, a much more pervasive part of just everyday listening culture. Just thinking about Gil's comment, it must come easier to them. Maybe it, it must um, you know, it's more I mean, in the veins. I guess so. E- even though America had made some really important contributions to electronic music and, you know, Chicago house and, you know, eighties Detroit, but yeah, it, it just seems to have, gotten into the slipstream of of european listening culture in a in a an easier um, you you know joe carducci's writing don't you yeah um, uh yeah yeah rock I mean, and the pop narcotic exactly and i mean yeah. it, it's it, there's a lot about that about like the american the american attachment to the you know the kineticism and the sweat of a group of people in a rehearsal room playing off of each other and how electronic music is and pop music by extension is somehow antithetical to that. And mm-hmm. I don't think that mm-hmm. like, and, and I'm making some really, really broad generalizations here, but based on, you know, just conversations I've had with folks from Europe over the years, like their, the, their relationship is um, uh much with with electronic music is much friendlier and and the that influence in their metal and rock is a much more natural thing than it is with a lot of american bands okay yeah that was like the most awkward circuitous way that i could make a really really simple (laughs) you know anyway and and then moving to, to ck2 chanel number six obviously um this is their way of talking about fashion talking about maybe some of the more vacant elements of fashion. I'm not sure how you read the lyrics and I'm going to read a few just so listeners can get the gist of what this is about. Sure. There are some great lines. One of them is I bring you hot towels and flamboyant oils. I'm a cat stuck between transparent doors. Prometheus chained. I wait for the Eagle to peck out my liver through the bulletproof glass. (laughs) I mean, it's wonderful. And you know the last line of the song, or the sure, you know, like you. Do you think they were thought industry fans? I mean, that's the kind of lyric and the kind of aesthetic I I, I think about when I think about thought industry in some way. Yeah, 
survival of the fittest suits me fine the truth as it was told to me by calvin klein pretty great um that's obviously the ck and not the crimson king unfortunately this song always was the ultimate exemplar of neonism how it feels what it's about again we're not going to like dig deeply into this album and give you our thoughts on every single song that's a four-hour episode probably yes um but one thing i will say is like no matter how apparently difficult and challenging the album seems ck2 shows how inviting it is too and how like how big the hooks can be absolutely the 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 great thing about solo fall is that they're just enjoyable on a surface level too i don't know i don't know how they achieve that i don't Uh, either (laughs) they're going for something so sophisticated they nail that they absolutely nail that uh but you can sort of listen uh without worrying about you know interpreting the lyrics uh the way the artist meant you to interpret them i don't you know i don't think that that's maybe even the point that's this band exists on so many different levels for us i think that you know, that's why they remain special for one. And then they, you know, these two albums, this is where really quite a foundation to start on and to challenge themselves to get better or just do something different and use this as a platform. And then they brought out pills against the ageless ills. And then suddenly they were assigned to century media, which was such a interesting move for this band on avant-garde music. It seemed a little uncentury media like, although century media was never really one thing. But it's it's yeah. odd that they would have signed them on the base. And I don't know if they heard demos from Pills, but if they signed them on the basis of Linear Scaffold and Neonism, that is a weird, kind of a weird thing for Century Media at the time. Well, only because, you know, I, a, a label like Century, despite them, you know, they've, they've certainly taken chances and they just signed where their hearts sure. were a lot, a lot of the time. But they're, they still have to think about overhead they still have to think about selling records (laughs) and here we are in when did when did uh pills come out that was 2001 2001 that was a a weird space for any kind of metal at the time unless you were new metal this wasn't exactly norwegian black metal anymore they probably knew that i I don't remember who because i knew people there then but i don't remember who was behind that signing and and who picked up solo fall, but I was certainly glad that they did. And they stayed there for two albums. We are going to listen to a song called charge of total effect from pills against the ageless hills.
I think with charge of total effect, they sound like they're just pushing themselves right out of any expectation of, of being black metal or of extreme metal in any way. I do too. Um, yeah. This album really took me a while to love. Yes. And one, because I think it's a less immediately lovable record than the two before it, but two, because as much as I love for bands to change, I wasn't ready for the change that Solifault made. I, wa- I wanted Solifault to continue to evolve. And I mean, a band like that can only evolve, but this, it, it, the detour for me was unexpected and hyperhuman, which we played on our six, eight episode is one of my favorite solo fault songs. Yeah. I mean, the album is top heavy. If you just consider hyperhuman alone, it is <laughs> It's but the best song in the album for me. It, like when I listen to the album now, sometimes I don't listen to hyperhuman. I listen to the rest of the album and I listen to it, you know, and take, I've really come to relish some of the rockier punkier indie elements and, and the straightforwardness. And, Yep. If you think about the subject matter, it, it, it makes some sense that they took a, a you know, more minimalist and, and, and grittier approach. And yeah, this is kind of a concept album based around two characters, Philosopher Fuck and Pornographer Kane. What's interesting about this album, too, is when it came out, it came out a, a week after 9-11. But, you know, people got a hold of things slower back then, too. And I remember a lot of people thinking that the song, the seventh song on the album, The USA Don't Exist, uh, was a reaction to 9-11 and some people actually being quite upset about it. You know, naturally, tensions were high. People were very sensitive about everything. I mean, that, that makes sense. The album was actually recorded in the middle of 2000. So there's quite a delay on it before it even came sure. out. So nothing, nothing to do with 9-11, although I think it is kind of telling and interesting that, you know, a lot of the lyrics do address some of the faults of the USA. They're as critical as any good patriot from the USA should be about sure. their own country. I, and it was really just, you know, in service to the concept. But yeah, one of those kind of weird and possibly unfortunate things uh, that happened after 9-11, the USA don't exist being one of them. The other thing being the, the obvious, I don't know if you remember that Dream Theater had a live album come out on, oh, man, that on, day. Se- on September 11th that had the Twin Towers burning in the background. Oh, I do remember that now. That, that got that got pulled off the shelves real quick. And and I think the band, <laughs> the band were probably right to do that because that just doesn't look good. But, Not um, so much. I mean, this, this, this album, other than Hyperhuman, like a lot of the songs took quite a while for me to warm up to. I, I love it all now, but I don't think of it. I think it's stronger. It's the sum of its parts, basically. It is. You know what I mean? Like, so. it, it's just by the time you get to the end and Hierarch winds down, you're like, okay, that's an album. It's not, other than Hyperhuman, I don't think of it as separate songs. It doesn't you, really, it doesn't work well separately. Yeah, it's it's fairly dense. It's a lot of verbiage. It's definitely a lot of lyrics on this one. Thankfully, the lyrics and the dialogue between the characters is is a really fascinating element of the album. Yeah. Oh, the USA don't exist alone. I mean, it like talking about like Martin Walkier volume. <laughs> well, <laughs> thankfully, lyric, lyrics are a little better than your average skyclad song. But um, that's just that's just me because he got a little silly with the, all the puns. Um, yep. But yeah, like but you can see some some eyebrows being raised by USA don't exist. 
I'll read some lyrics. The star-spangled racers speed into house and home. Today, the Americans try to recreate Rome. I deny the existence of the USA. Just a fat film with a bit too much to say, <laughs> end quote. Cornelius wasn't really doing black metal screams at this point at all, was he? No, no. He, he kind um, of... You, I mean, you, you hear a little bit of them but it, on Hyperhuman at the very beginning, but those are even a little bit different. What's interesting about Solifald and Cornelius, and we'll, we'll, we start to hear this on um, all of this stuff from, from here on out, is he would remain the quote-unquote extreme vocalist or the harsh vocalist or whatever, but he would morph that and change it, and he would, he would just do different things with the more grating and, and rough vocal. Again, another great aspect to this band. And Lars would continue to deliver some really beautiful melodies through his clean voice, of course. Absolutely. Uh, their fourth album was an, another challenge. And, and I'm sure like, I, I think the third and fourth albums are actually a, a bit less accessible than the first two. I don't I know would agree you, though. I, I think that the fourth one is markedly more accessible than pills. I think it's uh, more well-written. I yeah. think I, well, I know I like it more. I think it's excellent, but I, I, I can see century media at this time going, yeah, I don't think this is going to work. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm, I'm just guessing, but nevertheless, great album cover, great album. Uh, this thing is an hour long, never really feels too long to me. I'm, I'm always pretty engaged. Yeah, I am too. I am too. Well, it's, it's sequenced very well. And when it starts to get a little suffocating, they, there's a, a tension and release to this album that I don't feel like you get on on uh, pills yes and I, and I think we get to like song six and we get red music diabolos that's an instrumental so that changes things a little bit and then we get by my sperm uh seventh song and that's a little bit of levity and what is what is otherwise a very serious and uh very very dense kind of almost cosmic album it's it's really it's an album to grapple with for sure it is and it, it may be the production reinforces that that density but it there it doesn't have the same sort of schizophrenic genre hopping that you find on neonism but there are just untold layers on this album another challenging element of this album for me at least was the lyrics they're in latin they're in i think there's a french or some french in here german and English and a little bit of Norwegian, I think as well, many different languages <laughs> being incorporated here. So the, the first song's got, uh, got some Norwegian in it. Uh, yes, Nut- it Nutrisco. I mean, the, uh, the title's Latin, but <laughs> so, so right. yeah. <laughs> so Adding. why don't we listen to Nutrisco at Extinguo and a, fa- uh, a radical research classic and favorite Dionysify this night of spring.
Norwegians do love saxophones. Yeah, man. Uh, From, well, you know, first I think of Shining, and then Jorgen on uh, the Eson records. Sure, and uh, on Perdition City. Yeah, and of course, you know yep. the great, great Norwegian jazz saxophonist Jan Garberak. Yep, man. Yeah, I and, and here it comes again on Dionysify. Uh, yes. Really wonderful how it drops down into that, and really perfect for that song. I mean, this is a song about bacchanalia. It's an orgy song, basically. It's fantastic. Great lyrics. I'm not going to read them to you. I think they're best heard in the song. I want to quote one of the last lines. Mademoiselle, this night is all yours. Choose from 3,000 possible doors. It's just great writing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, really, and it, they, only, they only mature as lyricists, too. <laughs> like it's kind of get better and better. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Yeah, I think one of the other striking things about these two songs is the first time that we get any real heft in the guitar department. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. This is, this is why I have always considered this one maybe their heaviest and their densest. It's it just yeah, the the guitar presence is way. I out would there. agree with both of both of those. Yeah, uh, we heard of course Nutrisco, and um, as as an opener. They're not making it easy for you. I think it's a very hypnotic song. I think it. I think it's. Uh, it works at that position as number one. But um, yeah, you. I think. I think they made this album for people that were already into the band. I, I just don't think this would be one where I'd go. Yeah, let's start with that one. No, uh, no, no, no. I, <laughs> I think you're going to have to ease yourself into the waters of the uh, the early <laughs> albums before this one's yeah. going to really work for you. Yeah, it's it's also interesting. I. I kind of consider this point. I mean, they have eight albums, so this is the fourth. And so it's easy for me to say this, but I kind of do consider this a break. I feel like once they got deeper into the two thousands, they became no less interesting. They became no less great. I just, I, I feel like there's a different feel and vibe to the coming records. Like they kind of oh, very much. So I think the Icelandic Odyssey records kind of, they reinvented themselves and that's where they've taken things in that direction, I suppose. So, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah we can talk about that as we get in. However, we're there. I will say that this, we, okay, we are there, but as we kind of peel through these, uh, this next song is one of my Soul of Fault favorites. Sun I Call? Yes, sir. Yeah, Sun I Call. This is the first song from Red for Fire. This is subtitled An Icelandic Odyssey Part One. We're going to listen to actually the first two songs from Red for Fire, the, uh, the next one being Survival of the Outlaw. This is how the album opens. Yeah, the band actually traveled to Iceland in 2005 with funding from Text for Fatrafundet. <laughs> All Norwegian speakers laughing at me right now. Basically a lyricist fund. And they went there to write the album. And it turned out that there was so much material inspired by the trip that they turned out two albums so red for fire is the first one in the icelandic odyssey and the next year along came black for death this is sun i call and survival of the outlaw
Yeah, so those are the two first songs on 2005's Red for Fire, Icelandic Odyssey Part 1. So, Jeff, you were asking me before we went into that, my thoughts on those albums then and now. Then it's quite different from now. Hmm. At the time, Sun I Call was about, and then the the Garm track on uh, Black for Death. Hmm. Were, those were about the only two that I really, really loved um, from from that set. I have a very different opinion of Red for Fire now, which I have over the years come to love. Oh yeah, I yeah. it's just it is a fabulous record. Yes, it, it is. sounds beautiful. It's got great songs on it. Again, it was a it was a change that I didn't welcome at the time. For some reason, when Solofall changes, it always takes me a few years to catch up with them. <laughs> Not surprising. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, they move fast. They do. However, Black for Death, I still don't love. Okay. Okay. Uh, that one, you know, I, I think it's a little bit like in Harmonia Universali, the fourth one, where it's just, it, 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 it takes a long time because every time I do put it in now, I probably like it a little bit more and more and more. Black for Death was one that had like this one standout track to me that I continue to be obsessed with that we're going to play. <laughs> I consider playing others, but I, I do want to urge you to listen to it more and urge others to dig into it some more. I think it's just as good as Red for Fire. It's just, it gets, I think it goes deeper. Uh, I think there's a little bit more spoken word on it, which mm. might be a little off-putting. Um, you know, spoken to the end of all, that's like two minutes of of poem. There are a couple instrumentals. I mean, it's it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a deeper listen, but I, I would say Red for Fire is more instant. I probably like Red for Fire more, but I think Black for Death is its equal, but there was no way anybody could really hear that when it came out, at least not, not from my, not with my ears. I, I just always thought red for fire was more accessible somehow. It, I, I, I think it is. Uh, we got to talk about, yeah, we got to talk about black for death. That features a song called Loki trickster God. And that has Christopher rig, AKA Garm on vocals. So uh, a little bit of a, an over flag there. I hope everybody it's a really listens. good song. He's a really good guy. I think everybody listening to this should probably uh, be very aware of Oliver and, and Chris's work. And uh, yeah, is are there radical research fans out there that don't know Oliver? That would be weird, wouldn't it? That would be very weird. Get get it if you don't get in touch with us. Write to us, and we will. Yes, give we you have the- we have things to tell you. We we can help you with this. We'll we'll give you our top five recommendations. Uh, they'll differ a little bit, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll guide you down the path. But yeah, let's listen to uh, this this song called Necro Odyssey now. I have been obsessed with this song since it came out. It, it was by far the most Manowar-ish thing they'd ever done. And if we ever get around to that Manowar show that we once promised, um, I'd probably put this on there. It, it also gets into, and I, I always hesitate to say this, but folk metal thing mm. that was happening, or is it still happening? I have it's no idea. probably still happening. Okay. I mean, but, it's been you know, happening for yeah, very long time. Yeah, but it's just to me it got a bad name with all these like silly like fucking mug hoisting sure. bands, you know. Um <laughs> it was all about the the ale, uh which I'm all about the ale, but I'm just saying like it's it's a ridiculous premise to be a beer hall kind of folk metal band. Yeah, in general I I, I don't like hoisting with my metal. <laughs> <laughs> I like hailing. Uh yeah, ha- like- hailing's fun. Chilling's fine, but you know, <laughs> hoisting. hoisting, hoisting, and swashbuckling not so fine. 
Right, right. Yeah, this is Necro Odyssey. And I, and I imagine anybody that's listened so far will understand why this one stands out. And I, I just, I don't know. I'm into this. This is my folk metal mistress. Let's do it. <laughs> to that i will also say that i'm not going to call it folk metal i think it's just pure viking metal and they have an absolute right to that especially considering the concept of this whole thing good on them for just really like exploring that side of them the side that was always there as norwegians the side that was kind of flourished after going to iceland and um getting inspiration from it you know what's weird uh peter Steele went to Iceland, took a trip to Iceland for a brief time to get inspired. Uh, it was a trip that Roadrunner Records funded. In writing the book, Soul on Fire, I, I was confronted with trying to prove that because there were people involved at Roadrunner that remember that, but but can't like get me pictures or any correspondence they had with him. But there is there is also evidence to the contrary that he actually did go. So what is it about Iceland? 
That's very interesting, I think. Hmm. Uh, I think it's probably, an, an, without having ever been there, an elemental place. Ah, uh, oh, yeah. And I, obviously, I think that anyone with an interest in Viking culture, and certainly folks like Cornelius and Lars with genuine Viking heritage, probably would just sort of instinctually be attracted to it. Yeah. Uh, and Necro Odyssey, just, you know, in, in case you're wondering, I mean, that, it's that last part that we played that to me reminds me so much of Man of War. I feel like raising my sword, raising my mug. Sure, <laughs> I'll do that. Raising whatever, but um, there's going to be blood at the end of it. That's for sure. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and speaking of Iceland, this, this is an interesting track. Here's where a solo fall started to become a little, little less prolific in 2008. They released the circular drain, which is, which was done by Cornelius himself. It consisted of the yearn law of demo first four tracks. And then just a lot of remixes of previous songs, all pretty interesting. I, I would recommend it. And of course the extremes vice fuck over uh, happens on there is need. And that's uh, of course, that gentleman from Flurity, who we love so much, he shows up on this thing. And yeah, some of these um, remixes are interesting. It, it reminds me of a lot of the things Olver would do with their old songs in terms of remixes. Uh, we mentioned Zweiz, of course. We have a thing called Havoc Unit uh, doing two songs. They do Bragi, Prayer of a Son, and Son I Call. And Havoc Unit was the band that succeeded and oceans which was a finnish band who i i always wanted to like them i i feel like we should like them on paper what what what's your thought yeah. on and oceans i can't remember the last time i heard and oceans but you've heard had to, yes probably okay. like in the early 2000s yeah, they had great album covers great imagery they have amazing I, album covers yes i remember like listening finally and going eh, and i just kept wanting to love them more than i do but anyway havoc unit was this more industrial electronic version of that band and they remix a couple solo fold songs. So that's an interesting release. And then it took until 2010. So four years on from Black for Death, they finally come out with another full length, their seventh, called Noron Livskunst. Another really fascinating album. At the time, I, and I would probably still put it up in my top three or four. I think this is a fantastic album. It includes a song called Waves Over Valhalla, which is subtitled an Icelandic Odyssey part three. So they're still kind of carrying over that a little bit. This goes in a lot of different directions, as you might expect. Some of it is very obvious. Some of it is very difficult and not obvious. Among the not obvious would be Blackabilly, for instance. There's, a, there's another tie-in to Iceland too, because the song we're going to play Titten Totten Texty. <laughs> uh, that's the best I can do with that. Reminds me of if Solafold were collaborating with Bjork in her Sugar Cubes days. Like, yeah. Why don't we listen and you'll you'll hear why I say this. This is a little slice from Noron Lives But just a little slice. Potato, I'm both 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 pot
Yeah, wow. I mean, the energy you hear in Titten Tot and Texty is I just like hearing you say that. Uh, I I I'm semi mastered it. I think you I, you're doing better than I would. <laughs> I've listened to this song way too much and I love you know I love this album. This came out I love this album too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. thing is fantastic. And and the energy you hear throughout that song, it, they don't do anything like that song throughout the rest of the album. So it's probably not the best representative of Noron Lipskunst, but I find the energy comparable to what you hear throughout the album. There's something bright and, and fresh about this album that I was frankly pretty surprised by. Like I didn't really quite expect it. I mean, you know, red, red for fire and black for death are uh, pretty heavy, pretty murky, somewhat straightforward actually for them. And um, there's something about this album just seems so fresh and I, it's still a great listen 11 years later. So um, that's just a taste of some of the weirdness you get on that one. We got to give credit to uh, Agnata Kulzrud. Again, we're butchering these. We, we're very sorry. But just <laughs> yeah, just great, great stuff from her on that. Again, reminding me of a very, very young and uh, inspired Bjork uh, from the Sugar Cubes days. Almost he, got some Diamonda Gallus vibes. Oh, okay. That too. Yeah. Especially, I, I, especially the end where she just starts completely... <laughs> freaking out <laughs> yes right yeah it's it's a bit nuts and, and that's a that's a good call too for sure it's amazing yeah so four years later they came out with something called nora nasongan cosmopolis north uh or nord and this was a 37 minute ep so pretty long we have icelandic odyssey part four in there as the second song so they continue that theme I've never loved this EP. It's the only thing they've done that I just haven't connected to, I guess. There's two songs over 10 minutes long. I don't know that they work that well in that format. I'm yeah. still not crazy about this thing. Yeah. I, I've I, been trying for a long time and I, yeah. But this is an EP and this was like, I, you can kind of forgive them. Right. And then they come into world metal, uh, their eighth album, Cosmopolis sued or South. And this thing, you and I, of course, we've always been talking. I don't know that we've covered this too much other than the fact that I think you know that I love this. I do know um, you love it. What are your thoughts on this? I don't love it. Really? Okay. Yeah, okay. I don't. Huh. That surprises me, but you know. Uh, well, there, there's always time. There's always time. This was described uh, by uh, Lars Lazare as raw norwegian metal and dutch techno with norse and african folk rhythms uh, which you would think i would love yeah I, well that's exactly it i hear it that way maybe yeah maybe there's time but but here's what i'll say about it i, I do think it is so representative of solo fault in the sense that it continues to move even further forward it's way better than that ep that preceded it and they still haven't followed it up. This is now 2015. So it's been six years. So they are less and less prolific. I sure hope we get another solo fall album. There's a lot to, that I considered playing from this uh, that clearly we didn't. 
I kind of went to the one song on here that has always really touched me in a number of ways and on a number of levels. This is a thing called 2011 or a night of the fail night being K N I G H T again, 2011 or a night of the fail. This is very interesting. It's about, it's about the killing uh, done in 2011 by a human scum named Brevik, the mass killing, uh, which included a lot of children and anybody with any human DNA has to revolt and say, no, never, 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 never. I don't know if you want to add anything to this or if I'm going too far into something that we shouldn't. I don't think so. Your thoughts? He is an oxygen pirate. Yeah. Thank you. And a yeah. Complete waste of space. Is he still alive? Yes. He should not. No. Pure scum. I'm assuming that Lars shares Cornelius's view of this, but Cornelius has been extremely vocal about it, not only in this song, but elsewhere. Uh, You can do your own digging. But I read a recent post uh, that Cornelius made on Facebook. It's now the 10 year anniversary of this horrible event. And he had a lot to say about it. Yeah, I'm not gonna read the whole post. But he starts saying, today it is 10 years since the terrorist attacks on Oslo and Utoya, uh, which left 77 persons dead and hundreds of others seriously injured. This event is one of Norway's open wounds, causing pain, pain, pain up to this day. Uh, he goes on to talk about his feelings about this. Over the last, and this is another quote, ending his post from July 22nd. Over the last years, it has been increasingly common to hear arguments and opinions similar to those of the terrorist in social media and gatherings. Validating conspiracy theories and fake news can contribute to the development of terrorist thought. I shall go to a church in Berlin today and light candles for the ones lost. So thank you, Cornelius, for that. But this is a song they wrote four years later, still very raw. And I'm going to single out a few uh, lyrics that you may or may not hear in this snippet. I can't remember what all we uh, included Perhaps we do a disservice to the song as a whole by singling out a few lines of verse, but um, we wanted to illustrate just how deep and complicated the thoughts are uh, of the solo fall duo on this, on this event. Keep in mind, (laughs) the song seems to also narrate from several individual perspectives, uh, at least to our reading. So just a few lines from 2011 or a night of the fail. The kingdom wept and protested with roses. I kept my uniform on and continued my poses. They gathered at Young's and sang children's songs. I kept listening to Burzum, unrepenting my wrong. To mother and daughter, to father and son, I think grief made us mad, each and every one. I had wept for four months and only felt rage. Gone were the days of the lyricist sage. I saw analysts grapple with freedom of expression, using the massacre as a reason for repression. I spoke out against them, here justice ends. Not the kind of message that wins you new friends. Continued my poses, they gathered at Young's and 
sang children's songs Kept listening to person and repenting my wrongs To mother and daughter, to father and son I think grief made us mad and eaten everyone I went for four months and only felt rage Gone were the days of the lyricist sage So analysts grapple with freedom of expression Used to massacre as a reason for repression stuff mm. i must mm-hmm. say yeah and just speaking musically cornelius has always been a very charismatic extreme vocalist you talked earlier about how instead of screeching he found new ways to to approach atonal extreme harsh vocals yeah just sort of keep reinventing himself but the same thing with the electronic element which has always been there but in this song you i guess dutch techno i'm frankly not conversant in the ways of dutch techno (laughs) Uh, but (laughs) i'll take lazar's word for it (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's, it's 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 a great moment on a great album it's funny that this album world metal begins with a song called world music with black edges, uh, which swings us back to their origins. And that first album where they dubbed themselves red music with black edges. Um, I, I, you know, look, it, it's been six years since they've had an album. Who knows if there will be any new solo fall music ever. One wonders if the circle is complete. I, right. I think if, if so, you know, that's a great little bookend, really, the world music with black edges against red music with black edges. And, you know, as, as you and I are concerned, we're pretty deeply satisfied with their contributions. So uh, thank you, Lars and Cornelius. Indeed. Uh, I want to thank listener Gidria Slavinskis for his generous contribution. You can always just drop us a PayPal donation if you want to at PayPal ID radical research podcast at gmail.com. Uh, that's also our contact email. Do not contact us at Facebook messenger because that's just a, a huge mess. You can also shop at radicalresearch.org for various items uh, related to the podcast and to ourselves. Next episode, we're going to cover the works of Paul chain mm. and 
we, we realized this was one that was staring us in the face this whole time. I mean, ever since the early episodes, this is one we should have covered a long time ago. Yeah, make- I mean, he, he pops up on both of our playlists, you know, semi-regularly. Oh, sure. I, I've probably, you know, in the last few years, I probably haven't listened to as much as I have in the previous 15, but uh, he's always around. Certainly Alka Hest, certainly Park of Reason, uh, certainly In the Darkness, certainly Life and Death. Solitary um, Man. Solitude Man, that seven inch is fantastic. Um, yes, yeah, White and Sepulchers. I mean, we could go on. Uh, We're going to do a different format, though. This will not be a history or a chronological survey because I can't speak for you, Hunter, because I can't remember what you think of this, but I don't really care for most of his improv stuff at all. Uh, n- neither do I. So we're just going to, what we're going to do, Hunter and I are going to surprise each other with five or six snippets by the man and have some alternates ready. Uh, should we overlap and uh, just talk about Paul chain and just, uh, just scattershot it. So um, that'll be fun. We'll, we'll be spitballing some Paul chain. Um, I think I, I know that there are going to be a few people out there pretty excited. And um, a few people out there that probably have heard that name, but don't know anything about it because that's how it was for me for years. Uh, you know, I'd always heard about death SS. I'd ho- yeah. always heard about Paul chain, but it wasn't until Alkahest that, he had any kind of U.S. distribution. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I had never been able. Well, I don't really know that I even knew. I, I'm pretty sure the first time that I ever heard the name of Paul Chain was in a, a cathedral interview. Probably. And, <laughs> that sounds about Yeah, it's right. probably like where a, a lot of Americans probably heard about Paul Chain for the first but, time. But yeah, once Alkahest came out and um, I was at Relapse at the time and they started to get in some of the uh, the earlier albums on import. I went, I went hog wild. I went fucking crazy. And um, you saw my Paul chain collection at its height. That was one of the most stunning parts about that first trip to Stewart. was how many Paul chain, you know, I thought I was pretty well healed in in the world of Paul chain, but yeah, right. It was like, it was like, like, I think you had in terms of just sheer volume, it was like kiss and then Paul chain. (laughs) That's fine. I, I probably had like 22 albums when you saw me, but I, I, I've pared it down to about 17. So <laughs> it'll be fun. Join us for episode 71. We can't believe some of you have stuck with us all this time. Um, if you get anxious for episodes between uh, waiting for new ones, please go and, and check out some of the old ones. Our, fa- our favorite ones, I think, are the old episode and uh, the 6-8 episode, but we did two episodes ago. So um you know, just our personal the, the recommendation. Old, the old's always going to have a special place in my heart. And the afflicted. So uh, anyway, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> signing off for Hunter Ginn and, and myself, Jeff Wagner. I have no sign off. Goodbye. Good night. Be well. That too.